Welcome back, everybody, to Innovative Leadership. I'm your host, Ryan Stickle. With me, as always, Stephanie Hurd. Hello. And we're looking for for things to go a little bit smoother today. Uh, that last <laughs> recording was on Friday the 13th, so uh, things were just a little bit cursed, I think. But today's going to be a lot better. Uh, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, hopefully, you're just settled in. There's, it's cold weather outside, <laughs> so what what better way to, to chill inside than to throw on a great podcast about leadership and business uh and who better to bring in today back in team innovative with a guest our vice president of finance is here rose fetters welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me yes this is exciting uh it's been a minute since we had somebody from team innovative join the show so it's nice to to get back in the building and uh you know maybe apply some of the stuff we've learned back in kind of a innovative perspective and uh, just happy to learn more about people who work here because that's always fun and uh, we love to promote ourselves. We might <laughs> might not admit it always, but uh, it's fun to, to show how cool the, the people who work here are. So Rose, thanks for joining us. Uh, for those who aren't acquainted, tell us a little bit about yourself and how'd you get here? How'd you end up at Innovative? Oh, goodness. Well, it's <laughs> been a bit of a journey, right? Uh, so I'm originally from central Pennsylvania, much like Steph. Um, not too far from, we grew up not too far from each other, yeah. but I attended. Uh, Funny how we all yeah. end up in Hagerstown together. It's, it's weird <laughs> how that all works out. Um, so I attended Lock Haven University, which is up there in central Pennsylvania. I graduated in 2010 with a, a degree in accounting um, and straight out of there is all accountants do. We go into public accounting to get our uh, years of service in there. Um, so I worked in public accounting for about three years in central Pennsylvania. And then we uh, relocated to this area for my husband's job. So then I ended up, um, I I thought I loved tax accounting. I thought it was like the best thing in the world. Um, And so I started working in corporate uh, tax at Lockheed Martin. I worked there for one year and realized I hated corporate tax, (laughs) Uh, made many mistakes (laughs) with that. Uh, So I went back to public accounting for a few years. And then I ended up at Marriott. International down in Bethesda, um, and I worked there for two years um, in their international revenue accounting department. Um, but I hated the drive, so we lived in actually lived in Falling Waters, right over the, the state line in West Virginia, and was driving all the way to Bethesda five days a week. Oh, oh wow, that is rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a haul, and uh, you know, I have two kids, and I had just had my daughter when we when I decided I was like, you know, I want to be home. I want to see my kids grow up. I don't want to spend three hours there and three hours back sitting in traffic. Mm. Um, and I just happened to find innovative on ZipRecruiter, and uh, looked them up, and here we are. <laughs> ZipRecruiter, I same same avenue for me. Just yeah. like popped up. I'm like, well, this looks cool. This looks like it's it's a fit for me. And then uh, a week later, I had a job. So (laughs) (laughs) I I think one of my favorite stories about when you were hired, um, somebody told me that when you came in for an interview, the band was playing downstairs. Yes. So, uh, you know, I was hired directly by Jason and Nicole, which Jason hadn't done a lot of hiring in a while because he's kind of had gotten out of that now. He handles most of the technical side. Um, And so I came in for I think I had three or four different interviews just because Jason wanted to make sure, especially somebody touching finance, just wanted to be sure. Um, And so my final interview, I came in on a Saturday um, just because I was like, dude, I can't keep missing work. (laughs) They come in for all these interviews. (laughs) No, uh, it was fine. But I came in on a Saturday and yeah, the band was downstairs kind of warming up and that's what sealed the deal because I was definitely nervous. I've worked in 
uh, like regional size CPA firms and then large corporations. I had never worked for a smaller company. And so making that switch was a little scary for me. But like seeing the culture here and just the way that interacting with the tech. So I got to go down and say hi to everybody and meet like it was Charlie and uh, Tony and a bunch of our, Mm -hmm. you know, guys who've been here forever. Just getting to experience that was really what sealed the deal. So yeah, for those that don't know, on our technical team, uh, we have this, like, I guess, theme of hiring musicians. Yeah. It's certainly not a requirement, but it's just kind of a happy accident that, <laughs> that's occurred. Um, I so, think everyone is either a musician or a 3D printer enthusiast. Yeah, or like both. every single person. Because I, I did a series of articles kind of interviewing everybody or mm-hmm. just like, send me some things you're interested in outside of work, trying to get to know people and like every single one. So it's funny the way that's, is that yeah. part of our culture then? Of Right. <laughs> well, I, and so I personally, I think we should have our own hold music on the phones recorded and, you know, maybe one day the intro music for this podcast will be the innovators own, uh, own music. We'll That'd say. be very cool. Yeah, I, um, keep, I keep trying to get the innovative band to perform at various functions. Like when we have our <laughs> quarterly fun, I think they have a little bit of st- a stage fright. Um, <laughs> so they're all mu- musicians, but they're closet musicians, yeah. not necessarily performing. Get out in the sure, world. Introverted musicians. Yes. <laughs> that could be, you know, something we introduce music as a service, maybe so <laughs> something to think about. Um, can, I think that's an interesting way to dive in there. Uh, coming into more of like that local business, kind of that family feel. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that drew you in or was that something that just kind of came up as you were in the hiring process? Yeah, I mean, I definitely was interested in something that was going to offer more uh, work-life balance and more, you know, just ability to grow. And that was definitely one of the biggest draws for me when I was researching Innovative through the through the interview process was, you know, the growth trajectory that we have in this industry and in this, mar- you know, in this area and just, you know, under Jason's leadership uh, really sold the idea, I guess, at the end of the day. I really never thought of myself working for a small corporation because I've always worked for very large publicly traded firms. So um, that leads me into a question I've been thinking about, you know, you definitely brought um, a sophistication on the finance side. I think Innovative had been around maybe 12, 12 or 15 years when you mm-hmm. joined the team. Yep. Um, you mentioned Jason and Nicole had interviewed you. Um, Nicole being Jason's wife had yep. been our finance leader up to that point, um, mm-hmm. you know, organically growing the business alongside yep. with Jason um, and had done a fine job. But of course, every business reaches a point where you need to bring in some outside talent. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that was a interesting uh, pivot for you. Yeah. Where, you know, the, the business of innovative is technology. So we have all these technology experts and you're being brought in as the expert of kind of how to run the back end of the house. Mm-hmm. So how did that go? And, you know, teaching a bunch of IT nerds, essentially, how to handle their books properly. (laughs) Right, right. You know, it it was a very interesting experience, to say the least, because when I I was working in those larger publicly traded firms, you're looking at a very small piece of a very large pie, right? So, you know, when I was at Marriott, I worked on international revenue accounting for managed properties. That is a very small piece. I mean, it's a lot of dollars and it's a lot of a lot of things, but it's a very small piece of what Marriott makes Marriott International uh, altogether. And so, coming into this space where you're doing end to end, you know, uh, experiencing the whole cycle is was was amazingly interesting. Um, 
and definitely had came with its challenges, but it's been incredibly fun and and I've learned a lot. Um, and I was able to learn a lot alongside, right? So like our leadership team over the last six years that I've been here has elevated, you know, with additions, yourself included, but you know, just the growth that we've seen um, and just the educational opportunities there. Um, it's just been an amazing journey. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's been awesome. So. Is that so? If there's an, another business owner out there that's listening that might be in a similar position, thinking, mm-hmm. "Gosh, I've handled my books myself, but I'm growing. I know I need to bring in talent." You mentioned you learned alongside, and then Nicole, Nicole stayed on as a very active yeah. member of the leadership team yeah. for several months, if not a year. I think. Yeah, yeah. It was it was probably a year. I want to say I'm trying to remember, but I want to say it was at least a year. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. feel like that is a piece of advice you would give to another business owner? Absolutely, especially bringing anyone in from the outside, regardless of their experience, right? So not only was I learning the end ends of running a business completely, um, but just understanding the intricacies of the industry, right? I didn't come from another MSPs. MSPs are very unique. You know, we have very unique ways and, and we, this company had very unique ways. And it's, I didn't come in with under the lens of like, I'm just going to throw it all away and start new. There's 15 years of history and 15 years of stuff that worked. Right. Right. I mean, it just, we didn't innovative, didn't get to where it was because stuff was all broken. So I didn't come in under the idea that I was going to break everything. Um, and so that, that time with, with Nicole being here and her being able to teach me her, how she handled things and how she did things, um, with her guidance and with Jason's guidance, I was able to learn their processes and then look at it with a different lens. I hadn't been doing it for 15 years, so I could ask questions. I could, I could kind of, you know, look into the detail and say, maybe we could try it this way or we should do it this way um, and try to like streamline and, and just, you know, improve a pro- upon existing processes. So so you've climbed the ladder uh, since you've been here, right? Controller, director of finance, VP of finance. Yep. When you came in, was that a goal or intention to to kind of expand and, and grow like that? Mm-hmm. Um, or was that something that just kind of naturally developed over the years? Um. I, I mean, personally, I've always had the the drive, I think, to to be a leader and to, you know, run a finance department on my own. Um, it's something that I've just always wanted to do. Um, and it definitely was kind of on the horizon when I went through the interview process. Jason was intentionally looking for somebody that Nicole could eventually retire and step away from the business. Um, and so we kind of are, were already on that path when I came in the door. Mm. Were there any unexpected lessons or challenges during this whole process as, as you've continued to grow, whether that's, you know, having people to manage or um, <laughs> just the overall responsibility? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So when I came in, it was a team of about one and a half on the finance team. So it was Nicole and then Kaylin, who is our, at that time was our administrative assistant, did help but she was also door coverage and doing all the admin- things an administrative assistant would normally do. Um, and so when I came on and we started learning and growing and experiencing things, you know, over the six years I've been here, we've gone from a team of one and a half to a team of six. And so finding the talent and the right people that fit into our culture is definitely an experience and identifying those positions, right? Because at least in the MSP space, there are some unique positions that we have created. So we have mm-hmm. Tom, our contract analysis uh, guy who does all of that. We have purchasing because we handle so much hardware. Um, and just identifying where those roles and responsibilities are and really creating the finance department out of a one-person job um, 
definitely has been a challenge. It's been a fun challenge, but it's been a challenge. How much so. of a role has right person, right seat played, you know, just kind of in your eyes? Because again, these are kind of different roles to hire for. Yes. There's probably, I would imagine, a good amount of people who are qualified to do it. Uh, so how do how has that kind of been applied and and how has that affected kind of your team? Um, it's, it's been instrumental in getting to where we've gotten for sure. And, you know, if you look at the history of the finance department over the last six years, we've created roles and we've taken them away because we're like, oh, well, that didn't really work. Or there's really not a person that can do all of that in one seat. Um, and so we've had to kind of lift and shift as we've kind of worked through those, um, areas. And so it's definitely been instrumental in identifying here's the staff we have, And what can they do best? And are they in the right seat? Um, If we've already decided they're the right person, what should they be doing? You know, and kind of developing some of those roles to fit in with some of the very talented staff that we already had here. Um, And so, yeah, it's been, yeah. Nice. You mentioned um, Tom's role as contract administrator. And that leads me into, you know, one of the things I think you really brought to the leadership team and to the company is data and using data-driven decision-making. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? And I think I've seen the recent iteration of it, but I wasn't yeah. on board, you know, when you first started Rolling first started that. this process. Yeah. So tell us about that and what it was yeah. like to bring tr- real, you know, data-driven decision-making to Innovative. Yeah. It's amazing to think how far we've come because when I started, we had a report out of Autotask that didn't even work that was looking supposed to look at contract profitability. And Jason, when I started, he literally sent me the file and he's like, can you make this work? <laughs> and I was like, this is not what you even want to be looking at. And this is not, you can't ask it questions. Like when I look at data, the, when you look at data, you need to look at what, what questions are you going to ask the data to tell you? And you need to come to the data with questions because you can get overloaded very quickly. And, um, so I just, you know, we built... Autotask has a feature where we can pull the backend tables, which is our CRM and all of our ticketing. I mean, we live and die by Autotask in, in the MSP space, right? So we can pull all of that data into an access warehouse. And I started playing around. I did, I'd never touched access until I came here. Um, but we've built a whole database around it and um, all these queries. And now we have amazing reports that we pull out of that. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a learning experience. I spent probably the first six months of my job uh, time here learning access and learning how to build those backend tables and get the, everything connected and build the queries. And you know, now I'm able to pass that knowledge along to Tom, and he's doing a great job. But um, yeah, we definitely were not using our data. We didn't even look at reports uh, when I started because it wasn't working. So, <laughs> so was that something you came in and that was kind of an assigned task of we need your help to fix this or yes. and how much of that was you noticing things that maybe someone else didn't you saying yeah. this could also change yeah so definitely the contract profitability side of it was a need that Jason knew the knew the company needed and we just didn't have it um, we didn't have visibility over our contracts to to look at them at that individual level and make sure they were profitable. Uh, when I came on board, full disclosure, and hopefully Jason doesn't get mad that I share this, but <laughs> when I came on board, his method for closing the books for a month was he would go into QuickBooks and look at the PL and be like, ah, that doesn't look right. Let's let me dig into that and move it. Ah, that doesn't look right. Let me look at that one. And then he'd be like, ah, that's good enough. 
because Jason is a very 30,000 foot kind of guy. And so when I came on, we were definitely building process around cleaning up the data. We had um, multiple iterations of like database cleanup rocks and things over the years to make sure because, you know, when it comes to data, it's garbage in, garbage out. You're getting what you get. You get what you put in. Um, And so, you know, I came in here definitely wanting to look at contracts. And then through that experience and through those conversations, we've then started talking about other metrics and and measurements and scorecards that we can use for all this data that we have. Um, And it's just amazing that when you start looking at those things and paying attention to that, how it can drive results. Did you feel did you feel a lot of pressure coming into that situation, being somebody who had such a different perspective than most of the people who are in the company at the time? Yeah, it's definitely been uh, a learning experience for everyone. Um, You know, I don't I wouldn't say Definitely certain amount of pressure um, to bring the team on board, especially the leadership team. So prior to my involvement, they were not involved in the finances. It was really Jason and Nicole took care of finances. And then the leadership team was just doing what they do best, you know, service or project execution or sales execution. Um, and they didn't really get involved. Um but when I came on board, one of my goals was like, we, we, we have a ton of smart people here. We should be using their insights um, and especially their technical knowledge when we're, we're, we're looking at profitability on technical things and we want to understand why this contract isn't performing where we want it. The best person to tell us is our service execution leadership, you know? Um, and so if they're not looking at the data, we're, we're losing something. So um you know, it's it's definitely been a several year experience. We've had a lot of training and a lot of, um, you know, conversations and just going back and forth and a lot of iterations of reports. Um, but we've got a great leadership team who are all willing to learn and step up and and expand those skills. So yeah, I was going to ask if there were any growing pains with that or any <laughs> anybody who's maybe a little hesitant to to dive in on the on that end uh, of the. You can financial. ask Alex about that. One. <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring him back on. We got to ask him. <laughs> Uh, no, I think they all were very open and eager to, it's actually something like when I, I feel like when I came on board, the leadership team we had at that time was, they were all excited. They all wanted to see it. Like it was something they had been waiting for. Um, and they just hadn't been offered because we didn't have the skills and ability to present them with that data. So once I, once I came on and started generating reports, all I ever hear Tyler is like, can we get a report for that? Can we pull that out of the warehouse? Can we, how, how do we analyze this? Um, and I ask because when we talk about culture, that's that's a component of that is mm-hmm. there's a willingness to learn here. And yeah. if, if we're going to hire somebody to come help us out here, you guys shouldn't be pushing against it. You yeah. should be welcoming it. This is kind oh, of yeah. a, that word intentional that mm-hmm. we're doing this. So uh, that's good that, you know, and I'm I'm glad for your sake and our podcast sake. There wasn't <laughs> there are no uh, horror stories to tell there because. No, I mean, it's, there definitely were growing pains of like, hey, uh, you know, especially on like technical execution, they are busy. Yeah, you would mm-hmm. you would not believe how busy. I mean, maybe you would. But um, <laughs> I was surprised with just how hectic a technician's day is and trying to get them to put like. So it's the simple things like your time entries need to be right. Don't post your time entries for for from 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. and you know like just cleaning up some of that data. But their their goal is to service our customers, and that always every and that's part of our culture too. Is just every technician has that ingrained in them, and so it can be the biggest challenge is getting the data right at the 
end point, like at the starting point, um, just because they are so focused on the execution of service. And so getting them to slow down and put in de- the detail that I need can be a little challenging. Not that they're not willing to do it, but they're just so dedicated. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed, you said about how busy technicians are and service operation and there's you know, some of the stuff that we would love to be able to do, it it ends up just being a capacity issue on, okay, well, if we're asking technicians to do this, at what cost? Like, what are we giving up mm-hmm. to get that? And I think one of the things that EOS brings, I always, I go back to that like statement of a problem half solved or problem well stated as a problem half solved to where we're starting to talk in different language thanks to EOS. So you need to know the profitability of every service. I'm in sales and I need to be able, you know, I'm creating the problems because I'm selling all kinds of crazy, weird, one-off stuff. Um, But that's what our customers want from us. And so advocating for the customer of, we can't force a customer into our box. We have to flex and, and be willing to meet their needs. So we might have to sell them something different. And then the techs are the ones that are on the end of that. Like, okay, I have to deliver all of these crazy different services and I have to track them correctly so that accounting can account for them correctly. And we can know if we're selling them at the right price. Um, But having the language for everybody around the table to, to say, I would, you know, on the sales side, I would be solved if I could solve this problem for a customer. And then Rose saying, I would be solved if you sold that. And we actually knew if we were, losing money on it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Alex being able to say, well, I would be solved if my techs just had the time to do it and didn't have to worry about navigating all this. And then you can start having a conversation of, okay, we know what outcomes everybody needs. How do we, how do we create a world where all of those things can be answered rather than I'm just set in my box of, well, I need, I need your people to do all of X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's not that you don't need them to do that specific thing. You need the outcome. Yes. And we, uh, it, I think EOS gave us that language to focus on the outcomes of the yeah, problems. Absolutely. And that really, to your point, that has been transformational in some of the conversations we're having at the leadership level of not focusing on the how we're getting there, but just getting there, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I was going to ask that what the biggest aspect or component of EOS is and the biggest change you've seen in the company since EOS has been introduced. Um, I think there's a lot of great things that have come out of EOS. At the leadership level, I think it's just challenged us to be more open and honest. That's our implementer starts every session with a request for us to be open and honest. I think I think for the leadership team, that has been transformative, like just getting us all to be open and in the moment and giving feedback when we have these ideas, right? Or when Jason has a brilliant idea that we all are willing to speak up and say, <laughs> that might be brilliant, but... <laughs> Let's slow down. Like, you know, (laughs) let's not go a thousand miles. Let's try going a hundred miles per hour on that idea. So um, that has really opened up a lot of conversation in the leadership team, I think. Um, And then I think the transparency that it brings has also been really great for the company and our culture. You know, I think um, the conversations, we just had a quarterly meeting on Friday. I think those kind of presentations and just being open and honest with our metrics and and the things that we're working on at the leadership level, um, at the whole way, you know, from the leadership down to the technicians um, has been really awesome to see. Even in those environments where at least it's it's trying to be conducive to to open conversation and honesty. Have you ever found it difficult even then to to speak up about something? Or is that just in your nature to be like, 
I'm, I'm going to say it like it is. I mean, you could definitely, that's something you asked Tyler and Alex about, but no, I have, <laughs> I have no issue speaking up. I don't feel like I do. Um, yes, it's definitely in my nature to just um, weigh in, yeah. if you will. <laughs> good, good. Because um, I know I know some people, It's that's a big struggle. Even right. if you're in a room and every single person tells you, please be open and honest, right. it can still be hard right. to be open and honest when right. you're pushing back against somebody. Yeah. Well, and in, especially in, in the position of finance, you have to be willing to speak up because if I don't speak up, it's not like, oh, we're going to overwork our team. Like, and not that that's not important, but like, yeah. if I don't speak up, we literally will have no funds. Like <laughs> payroll will not clear because we spent that money elsewhere because I didn't say something or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Um, you know, so it, especially in those financial roles, it's very important Um to be able to be open and honest with everyone. And I, you know, there's a certain level of trust that has to be had with, with the finance team. And like, that is the number one rule is you just got to be open and honest. You know, you can make mistakes, but as long as you're honest about them, we can fix it. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is everyone buying in. And if everyone is being honest, it's easier to trust them because it's like, well, I know they're not gonna serve me some bs to make me feel better like right. if something's going wrong we should probably hear about it uh because you know if you have a a leader or leaders in place where everyone else is is they're trying to sugarcoat things mm-hmm. basically to make them feel good your business will not be successful right. and you'll probably go broke in the yes. process so yes exactly yeah exactly yeah i think that's another thing that eos has brought you know on any team there's going to be more outspoken people and less outspoken people but with the focus on rocks and identifying the biggest problems in your company, and we all agree on, okay, what are the most important problems that we're tackling? Mm-hmm. So like if you have something that you feel like is a problem and you want to spend your time there, like you better speak up or else we're all going to get on board with you spending your time elsewhere. Right. And that's I feel like that's given a vehicle for maybe some of the less outspoken people to make sure that they are heard a little yes. bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering because, you know, even with this, I'd say healthy environment, honest environment, there's still challenges, right? And everybody's going to face them. Uh, what do you kind of do to help decompress or help work through those challenges, whether it's on a day, like just a hard day or a drawn out, you know, week long, hopefully not months long <laughs> issue that uh, it ends up being a little bit of a project to work through. Right. Um, I think, honestly, I always go back to our culture. So I don't know, you know, in the six years that I've been with Innovative, I do not feel like I've ever had a day where I've left work and been like, what the heck am I doing here? Or what the heck is going on? Or I've had any doubts with my team or the leadership team of our ability to execute. We might need to figure it out. might be a puzzle that we have to solve. I happen to love puzzles. So Mm -hmm. that stuff tends to energize me um, trying to figure that stuff out. But um, I don't feel like we've ever had anything that was like just so, uh, you know, outrageous that I didn't feel like we couldn't get through it because we have just such an amazing team and amazing culture and we're so open with each other, you know, so. And that's pretty cool because that's not something that happens overnight. Right. And that takes uh, years of very intentional work and team building, Mm -hmm. um, bringing on the right people, right? Right. Because it's like, well, maybe 
uh, we need some some extra help and some maybe a little bit of an outside perspective on our finances because we need mm-hmm. this is something we need to get yeah. straight. We need to be profitable. Right. And um, so to be able to build that team and have that that trust, uh, I just I'm always impressed with how every conversation we have here kind of plays off of something else like this all connects, um, you know, the stuff we do for, let's say, our mandatory fund, right? Yeah. That is not an isolated meaningless thing we do on the side that matters so much because you might get to know somebody a little better at fun and you come to work and all of a sudden there's this issue and you have to work with that person and this isn't some stranger you've never met now it's like we know each other a little bit uh it's it's, that's easier to have trust in them so i'm always i'm always i almost i'm almost excited to hear them (laughs) when um you kind of bring up a point and then it's oh i can connect it back to this yes um, so those are, those are fun culture conversations, oh, yeah. uh, I guess, uh, coming at it from a, I guess, a I don't want to say a negative side for somebody who maybe is in the, that old rose position of, I'm kind of in this corporate world that I feel unhappy. I'm kind of maybe in a rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have advice for those people of how to kind of stay strong in that, but also look for a new opportunity and certain Mm -hmm. things you should maybe look for? Yeah. I mean, I definitely always fell back on. So when I worked at, for example, when I worked at Marriott, we went, it was when they went through a huge merger with um, another hotel and it was just chaos day after day, you know, working late, um, going in early, um, working weekends, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just nonstop, like just felt like you're getting beat up from all sides. And that's when I took, uh, EOS calls them, I now realize EOS calls them clarity breaks. Um, (laughs) so it's a very EOS thing, but, uh, you just take some time and think through what do you really want to focus on? You know, what, what do you, is it, you know, the fit, your family, is it your job? Is it your, you know, what is the most important thing to you? And, um, you know, when talking about your career, what is going to give you the most personal growth, you know, and, and experience and, and make you the best leader that you could be. So I realized in my career that I, maybe I wasn't made for, you know, a fortune 500 culture. Um, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the, like, there was just a lack of, you know, camaraderie that happened on the team because it was so big and everyone was just so busy and you never talked to anybody. Um, yeah. and it just, it wasn't for me. So, you know, looking into that, you know, obviously you you always want to put your best foot forward when you're still in a position, but just really looking at what you want to get out of your career and then trying to find something that aligns with that, you know, trying to make sure that you're aligning it all together. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that like, wow, you may, you might enjoy this job a lot more than you did at Lockheed or Marriott. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not disparaging them. Like those might be great places to work for someone like yes. innovative. Not. It might not be best suited for somebody. Like they might love that big corporate world exactly. and, and climbing up the ranks and all the movement yeah. that happens there. They might love it. And so uh, that goes right back to that right person, right seat. Like yes. if, if, if that's right for you, you, you go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, yeah. there's, there's definitely no issue with that. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. What, um, you know, 
I I feel like you definitely brought a fresh perspective having had all of your experience mm-hmm. in various areas of other companies. Um, and we've talked to both Alex and Tyler, other members of our leadership team on this podcast, who had very, you know, homegrown innovative stories of being those homegrown leaders. And, right. you know, I am a, a big fan of growing your own leadership from within, but there's also a value um, and sometimes maybe some things that you miss when your only experience is the company that you're leading. Um, so if if there's a company owner or CEO listening and they're building a leadership team, can you talk about the balance of viewpoints between the the homegrown leaders compared to outside leaders and mm-hmm. what experience should you all be bringing together? I mean, I think I think it has worked out great that we have a very healthy mix of both. Like I I think I push Tyler and Alex in areas or and you do as well because you have some outside experience. We push them in areas that they don't think about or haven't considered because their only experience is here at Innovative. And then vice versa, when we come up with an idea that they know is just not gonna fit, mm-hmm. they're able to push back to us, you know, say that might have worked here, but that's not really fitting in with innovative yeah. culture, innovative style. Um, and so we're able to push each other to grow. Uh, in our own ways to better the company as a whole. So I think having that mix of both, you know, homegrown as well as some outside experience um, has really benefited Innovative extensively. So that's interesting because that can exist in each role because in my role, like I'm like an outsider, you know, for better or for worse. And so I'm coming in and I'm learning about not just Innovative, but this industry. and there's other people, for better or for worse, they just know Innovative. Mm-hmm. And Innovative is a great <laughs> company to know, right. but not everybody operates like us. And right. so it's you can't just apply Innovative to the industry. It's like mm-hmm. not everybody's like this. And so right. you have to have that outside context or else you might, you might get lost in your own culture a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have definitely had those conversations mm-hmm. of like, hey, Innovative might be great at that. But that's because we're innovative. And like, you know, Steph and I have the outside experience to say, hey, not every company does that. That's kind of a unique or innovative. And so we're able to like, hey, bring light to the fact that like, that may not be the standard. (laughs) That may not be the norm. Yeah. And I mean, we've even seen that translate over to our sales and account management teams where, you know, we're working with business business leaders of our customers. So I think this is probably applicable in any B2B business where, you're working in other businesses for the business that you do and you can't go into it with the assumption that they operate like you or that they make decisions like you. Um, And we talk about it a lot with account managers of, you know, we have the benefit of being in a pretty functional, healthy team environment. Um, And when you're working with customers, being able to tell the difference of how healthy is this team that I'm working with and working with that customer you're going to probably have to navigate it a little bit differently depending on the dynamics of their team and their company and their culture, um, which is interesting for somebody if they've only had the the benefit of <laughs> being in a, a nice, healthy, functional, yes. <laughs> innovative family. Yes. <laughs> and yes. from a sales perspective, you might also end up selling yourself short if you're not aware of how other people operate because there might be something here that you think is just mundane, everyday activity. But in reality, it's like, oh, we're very special because of what we do mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, in our service, whatever it might be. And so it is good to have that outside perspective and to to bring in all different types of people to kind of grow that, I guess, 
knowledge, really. I mean, you're, you're being knowledgeable about the business world and the MSP world. And so uh, I think that's that's really cool that we've done better at that in recent years and bringing in more people like that. Uh, in that kind of same vein, as Innovative does continue to grow, I wanted to ask you, Rose, uh, what challenges do you think Innovative might face as we do continue to grow? And how many of those have maybe kind of been predicted and we're, we're already mm-hmm. kind of working against? Yeah, I think we've got a couple of unique challenges we're going to face. And some of it's because we're so awesome, right? The bigger <laughs> we get the harder it's going to be to maintain our culture. That's just how it, how it is. You know, like the more we grow and geogra- ge- geographically, the more square mileage we, we cover, yeah. you know, as we start having remote people or more, you know, distant people, it just, it makes it more difficult to maintain that culture that we, we uh, you know, hold so dearly. Um, and then, you know, we are also very unique in the MSP space that we are blessed with, you know, Jason as our owner and, and CEO, um, we are, we have a little bit of a limitation though, that we don't have some private equity fund backing all of our investments. So all of our growth is organic and through us. So we have to finance all of that internally. Um, and so the more we grow, the more we go into markets, you know, where there, we need to invest, you know, that's all, it's all internal. So it's, it can be a bit of a challenge. I mean, it's an exciting challenge and it's one that I think the company is up for, but. Right. And I ask not only because I think it's valuable to the conversation as we all sit here working for Innovative, but also so some of our audience doesn't just like get sick of like, why do they love where they work so much? (laughs) Like, how great is this place? Like, what are they talking about? Because not everybody's as fortunate. And, you know, we we do believe this stuff. Like, I I don't know if everybody who listens and plenty of people who work at Innovative listen and friends of the company and, and whoever it might be. But I mean, we you do believe this stuff and that's part of that right person right seed is like you need that buy-in to to really succeed and continue to grow like we talk about so right i mean it's not <laughs> this is not phony i hope i hope people believe right. me on that front well and i think a, probably a similarity to msps and to your work experience you know you made the uh the statement that you went into public accounting and that's kind of, that's the first step for every accountant and they do their time there and then they move on to, you know, other things. And in the MSP space, we're kind of the same way. Like a lot, traditionally, technicians start out at an MSP. It gives them great experience. They kind of do their time, but it's stressful, right? You're hopping from different environments, different philosophies about technology, working for kind of yeah, you have one boss within your MSP, but different bosses with different companies that can be very stressful. Mm-hmm. And often um, it's a stepping stone for technicians. They do their time with an MSP and then they move on. And we're very fortunate here at Innovative to have really great employee retention. Um, m- many of our first technicians still work with the company. Um, but then that also comes at a disadvantage when you look at just how we're positioned to sell innovative because the business model of other MSPs, um, they kind of stay affordable by banking on employees leaving and, you know, replacing them with those entry-level salaries. And we've said, that's not what we're all about. You know, we want to keep our people, which is fantastic. And we certainly want to continue investing in doing that. But then how do we communicate that to our customers and make sure that they understand and you've brought a lot to that of how do we price accordingly um, mm-hmm. to the talent that we have and the service that we're providing. And then on the sales side, just communicating that that service level is different because we have that retention. Um, it's 
it's unique in the space and that's so hard to communicate. Like nobody believes you when you say I'm different, but yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people might not want to hear it also. It's because it is, it can be such a cliche of, well, every business is going to say, well, we're great and we're, we're different. So choose us. So you do have to, I mean, you have to prove it really. I mean, you can only, words only go so far. uh, And so, you know, if you can put action behind it and, I think with us, it's you see it in the people also. If you get to talk to people at Innovative, you you do start to yeah. get it. You might not even be thinking about being a customer with us, but you can kind of feel it. So right. um, that stuff's always really cool. Rose, is there any, um, I think, really just like advice for either CEOs that are looking to build out a leadership team or other individuals in your position looking for a new leadership position, like what should they look for in a company, maybe even specifically a company leader, um, and then vice versa? What should a leader be looking for in that that new person that they're going to bring in? Uh, personally, in my experience on the leadership side, I think adaptability uh, and dependability are certainly some of the most important skills. Like, uh, you know, if you're bringing in somebody on the finance side, debits and credits can be taught, you know, like, those skills, reconciliations can be taught. What what can't be taught are some of those softer skills of, you know, pro- some of the problem solving, the, you know, flexibility and adaptability and things, you know, ability to work through issues. You know, that's one of the things I have learned in my six years here is we definitely have a lot of unique issues that come up that you would not see in a bigger corporate area, you know, and it's, it's all hands on deck when that stuff happens. So, I'm in the process of transferring my CPA license to the state of Maryland to help with issues in, in areas that I have never touched that are outside of my department. Um, but we're all a team and we're all working together to try to solve those. So somebody who's willing and open to doing those sort of things, for sure, on the leadership side. Um, and on the finance side, I mean, I think it's just really experiencing all the things, you know, <laughs> um, public accounting certainly gives a good window into a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I think it's a great testament to how amazing innovative is that prior to working for innovative, the longest I ever stayed at any job was three years and Same. I've been here six <laughs> years and counting and I don't have any plans at this moment, knock on wood to go anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, and you, I mm-hmm. mean, you can mirror the same, same conversation, but you know, it's just a testament to that. But p- part of that also, I think is that I went out there and experienced all the different things and tried to tried my hand at the various areas of accounting and and really found what what I am passionate about and what I enjoy doing and I am just beyond grateful and blessed that I get to do that almost every day here so awesome, awesome. that is awesome Rose Fetters thank you very much for okay. joining us this has been cool Stephanie Hurd thanks once again thank you and I'm Ryan Stickle this has been innovative leadership We'll see you next time. And I would be remiss before we before we end if I didn't mention, and I don't ask all our guests who they root for, but this this is three Steelers fans here. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to mention it at the front end because, you know, if we had some Ravens fans listening, they might wow. tune out. So I uh, had, to, had to mention that also. Here we uh, go, Steelers. Steelers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, we all have uh, Pittsburgh gold. ties around the table or Western PA ties anyway. Yes. We do. We yes. do. So, uh, yes, tune in uh, next time on the Innovative Sports Podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.